All right, Kenny here again with uh, part two of A Time Traveler's Guide to Worlds 2015. This episode we'll be covering the uh, 16th through 8th in, in the, the cut. Um, and before that, I'll have a couple little things about sort of final little details about the world's formats, um, stuff like that. Um, but before I get into that, I want to give two shout outs to actually I'll give three shout outs. Um, for, first, just sort of a general shout out to anyone who's given me positive feedback, said they liked it, anything like that. I really appreciate it. Um, put a bunch of effort into this, and it's nice to have people tell me they appreciate it. Um, in particular, I like to give two shout outs. One to um, Exthuma. Don't know how to say your name. Uh, he's a little turtle guy on Slack. He's really been really aggressive about telling me to promote myself, um, which I appreciate, even if I'm uh only lazily post on posted on reddit um and mostly just let word of mouth do the trick but i really appreciate how how much he believes in this podcast arguably more than i do um also a shout out to sanjay who i is always telling me he gets a kick out of how i insult my my listeners which i um i appreciate that someone else thinks it's funny I basically am running a pickup artist guide to podcasting where the key is to neg your audience to keep them wanting their respect. Um, so that's, that's, a little, that's a little industry street secret there for everyone. All right, so so on to Worlds. Um, so my experience signing up was I actually missed the original signups, which happened while I was at work. And I forget if they were announced or not, but sort of... I was at work, um, the tickets got announced, and I wasn't like dying to get in it. Um, this was in the Skype era, so we didn't have like push alerts and that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't really know I wanted to go, and so it was like, oh, the tickets were sold out. And this was in like, I think like March or something. It was before regional season, so I hadn't experienced a lot of the, the traveling yet that really got me wanting to go to Worlds. Um, and then after regional seasons, I really wanted to go. And one of the things about regional seasons is basically if you won a regional, you got a guaranteed slot um, at Worlds. And then after this, sort of, since a bunch of people who won regionals had already won, they freed up those tickets um, and they put them for sale at like midnight, which is a pretty funny thing. And then, so I stayed up with a bunch of people on the, on the Skype and the website actually went down at midnight. Now we crashed it. And then everyone was like, oh man, like I wonder when it's gonna go up. And someone's like, well, I actually had something like this happen um, for like a different thing. And sort of, it ended up working seven minutes later. I told all of us that and we all tried it seven minutes later and lo and behold, it worked. And we we all got in, um, or not all of us, a couple of people on the, the Skype didn't get in. And I think that was a huge bummer for them. And I know that like a lot of them, I never ended up meeting. Um, but yeah, that was sort of, the lengths we were going to to go to Worlds and sort of demonstrated the hype of it to a certain extent, as well as sort of the goofiness that goes into actually attending it and the sort of FFG stuff. And then I think the other really big thing that happened before this Worlds was King of Servers. So this was the first King of Servers, which is an idea SPAG came up of. It was a four-person team tournament where each person on your team plays one faction. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about what to do about the fourth runner faction. Some people wanted the mini factions, a bunch of people didn't want the mini factions. 
Um, and it ended up being that you could play whatever one as long as it wasn't a duplicate ID. And this one was before Worlds. It was, I believe, either the Thursday or the Friday before Worlds. I forget if it was, I think it was Saturday, Sunday Worlds, and then Friday came of servers. Um, and it was a really important chance for people to test their decks. Um, and then the other thing that happened is with everyone forced to play each of the core factions, a bunch of people were like, okay, what's the best deck in HB? Um, even if they were planning on playing NEH, which was considered the best faction. And a lot of people discovered, oh, wow, this Food Codes deck is kind of nuts and really good. Um, and sort of that was a very influential thing in the, the final meta. Um, and Spags organized it again. Um, and it, we were in a VW hall. And I remember it being pretty cramped, but it was about the experience of a lot of like the New York City store championships where everyone just like jammed in there. So it wasn't too bad. And everyone else was just a big baby. Um, and so I, I was on the New York City team, which was me a lot, Hinkies, and Jens. Um, and sort of Jens was the ringer a lot got in because we, we didn't have anyone else from New York City coming. Um, and one of the funny things about this was one, nobody knew except for me there were cash prizes. Elad played Apex and I was like, please play a real deck. And he's like, no, I think everyone should have to play the mini faction. And then I only found it at the end, he didn't know there were cash prizes. Um, and he ended up going three and two because the funny thing about Apex is it was very bad except for against net damage where Heartbeat is kind of broken. And so he just uh, went to the bottom table, played all the PEs that were losing games and beat them. Um, and we ended up coming in second, which was a lot of fun. Um, and there was supposed to be a grand finals between the top two teams. However, the, the, the team that was first after Swiss was the, the Brits, and they claimed they were tired and they wanted to go to sleep and asked us to split. And we nicely agreed, um, except then they spent the next billion years claiming they won, which is, we always say, never trust the Brits. They'll stab you in the back every time. Um, I think it was Dave Hoyland's, uh, Gruber, Alex White, and I think Lori Poulter was the last one. So it was a pretty stacked team, and they were like one and a half games ahead of us. However, Dan, whose team came in third, uh, was sort of right next to us at the top table, and but ended up going seven and one, and they finished before us. And so the UK team and the New York team we were at the top tables. And so what ended up happening, I'll just, I'm just going to read from Dan's tournament report here. Um, as I said, we got we got mad scoops on this podcast. Uh, going into the last round, it looked like we were pretty much out of it. But after pulling out a 7-1 victory, it looked like we had a decent shot of top four. After some math, I figured out that if the first place UK team could just take one out of the three remaining games from the second place New York teams, we would surpass New York City and make the top two cut. However, we can only watch helplessly as Chris Hinkies and friends demolish the Brits in one game after the next, including a, a really painful game to watch where... Chris put about 3 million tags on UK national champion Alex White Noise with a combination of city surveillance and spark, proving to the world for about the 30th million time you can beat at the top levels without a single decent card in his deck. Um, and so that's how we got top two. And then they lied to us about taking a joint victory. I'm still bitter. Um, but we got we got money, and this, this led to 
There's a famous picture of Jens holding a pile of cash with a crazy face on his crazy smile on his face, which was one of the original pictures used in the exclamation point ruined, which is a long running Netrunner meme about how a lot of people thought that cash prizes ruined Netrunner. And so it's sort of a, a joke on that people started compiling pictures of people winning with a bunch of money and making goofy faces. And that was the original and generally agreed best ruined picture. Um, but yeah, as, as I said, nobody on my team knew their cash prizes. And so they were, he was just super surprised. We just got a bunch of money. Um, and then in terms of worlds itself, it was nine rounds, which was uh, two more than last year, responding to some of the complaints all in one day. Um, so the cut would end up being about 12 and four. There were IDs and some two for, for, two for ones, though there was not, it was not universal and it wasn't formalized. It was mostly at the top tables and it was mostly official. But I know some people who did. Um, that I won't call them out or get anyone mad about it. Um, and I think it was sort of this world, the experience of that was part of what led to them getting more formalized because it was understood that a lot of people were doing it and it highly benefited the people in the know who knew a lot of people and knew that you could do this. And people who didn't know about it were suffering in sort of relation and it was happening anyway. And there was no real way to sort of enforce and keep people from doing it informally. Um, and the final thing, there was no supervise anymore. So you got to buy um, in the first round if you won a national, except um, that didn't give you, you didn't get to play against someone with perfect strength of schedule. You just sort of averaged the rest of your rounds strength of schedule, which was still a positive because oftentimes your first round opponent, if you 2 owed them, they're the worst one. But it was less absurd than the super buy. So I think there was a lot of improvements to the structure of this world over the last one. Um, and yeah, I, I think one of the other, the final thing to comment is there are fewer games captured from this one. Um, the FF, FFG stream itself, I could not find. And I think there's, there's some games lost from there. Additionally, uh, sort of Team Covenant recorded fewer videos this year. They had recorded all the videos, but I think they only ended up recording commentary on, I think, like nine of them. It felt like they were a little bit on their way out in 2015. They were like, okay, they were as crazy hyped about it. They were sort of moving on to different games, which I guess is understandable. Um, and there are also four games from Santan Francisco. Um, but overall, it's 13, um, which is like a third of the games, as opposed to uh, 2014, where I think like two thirds of the games we have we have the, the footage of. Um, and so it's a little bit harder to go back on watching the games, though I have um, a bunch of the games in the cut I actually watched um, and a couple of them that were not uh, recorded. All right, so we're going to get started with the top 16. Uh, first off is Chris McCulloch. Um, who is he? Um, he's one of the few people in this cut I've never met. Um, I put out some feelers and got a great report back from White Blades, who met him in Winnipeg, um, which is in central Canada in Manitoba, aka the middle of nowhere. And he he rarely travels. Um, I think this is one of the big the big events he did travel for. Um, and Wake Blades was like, you know, he's a really strong player, basically never traveled, and he won a ton of the events in this kind of like isolated meta, which I think is like a classic archetype of a, of a Netrunner player. There's a lot of people like this who like sort of 
never really travel, but consider like real ringers in their local meta. And it's always fun when they do travel and have success. And sort of that guy who's so good was always beating me, sort of demonstrating to other people that he's good. Um, and I think I think like a lot of times in local tournaments, you'll be real invested in beating sort of the local strong player, and then. When you, but when you travel, you start to root for them. And this person who was sort of my enemy is now sort of my um, my like comrade, which I think is always a cool dynamic in Netrunner. Base uh, White Blaze also told me that sort of after this, he still played, but he didn't travel as much. And then when ETF rotated out, he kind of stopped playing in a big way. He was also beginning to start a family and sort of couldn't play as much and was focusing on that. Um, and was a big tempo player. Also, he was an actuary, which both my parents were actuaries, so I got a lot of respect for uh, the risk analyzing professions. Um, and in terms of his games, I watched his game. Uh, he's He lost round one against No Mickey, who I thought he actually played really well. No Mickey also plays extremely well. It's a very good game. Um, and I, he was really pushing the tempo with food coats, which actually, if you watch the stream, I think that the stream, there's a general sort of uh, a lot of the food good player aren't playing amazing and aren't really taking advantage of GFI in the way in which it lets you not protect centrals um, and really push the tempo, which is, I think, an interesting thing. But the, the deck is so strong that you can sort of have success even without that. All right, and now I'm going to get into his actual corp deck itself. As I mentioned, it was food coats. Um, so we're going to see a bunch of food coats. Uh, they're mostly pretty similar, I would say, on average, like all but 10 cards the same, um, though the differences are pretty meaningful um, in what they're trying to do and what you're good against. Um, and I'll talk about the amount of food codes more as this goes along. But I think I think there's like two things to note. One, food codes was not the main deck people were preparing for. And a lot of people are bold on the food codes at the last moment. Though based on what uh, Weightblades told me about Chris, who is like a long time ETF player, and I think that showed in sort of his play style. I think he was a little more comfortable with it than a lot of the people who I think were, were getting onto food codes at kind of the last minute, either because they had played it at King of Servers and gotten onto it after finding out it was very strong or sort of um, had played it posts in like testing um, as opposed to have played, in, played it for a lot of the year. Um, and now I'll get into the, the deck itself um, and I'll talk about sort of the pieces that are universal um, and the pieces that are sort of Chris-specific. Um, so to start off, there are the universal agendas. Pretty much everyone plays 3 ABT, 2 GFI. This is like the standard for food codes, though. One of the interesting things is later in the year, after Worlds, um, some of the Brits are, end up playing 3 GFI as just sort of a way of guaranteeing sort of you get to have the nice scoring pattern of a 5-3 and 2-3-2s. Though in my opinion, I found that scoring sort of four, you know, eight or even nine points was not that big of a deal because the deck was just very powerful and you didn't like hate to do that. And then the two sort of other agendas that you see various compositions are NAPD and Vitruvius. And everyone needs a combined uh, four of these. Um, and so some people are going to have three of one and one of the other. And some people like Chris are going to have two of each. Um, in my opinion, I think the NAPD is a lot stronger, though there are some downsides. One, you can't never advance it. And two, with the uh, DLR Valencia, it is like a real downside that you need to over advance it with BP. 
Um, but I think at this time, Vitruvius, the Vitruvius counter was not that good. Um, there was it was better than people realized because I think sort of the running understanding of network at this point in time was that three twos were really good, and this was sort of the the second deck that could really score all its points with advancements on it. And then sort of the next like core card is it has three Jackson Howards. So that's pretty much universal. Going to generally talk about that first because it's sort of not not that notable to any individual deck just notable as it's sort of a universal way the game worked at this point in time um and then the money cards are two breaker bay three adonis two eve three hedge and two restructure so the breaker bay package is very good two times breaker bay is a mistake um i don't think having played this kind of deck a bunch the card is like extremely good first off it's like as good as a hedge the first time you play it with sort of um, an Adonis or an Eve. Plus, you typically are getting like uh, Caprice Reses or Ash Reses out of it. And it's just, it's just very good. You know, you, you can get Cyber Dexes. The first Breaker Bay is often worth like 10 credits or something like that. And the second one you can often use with a different campaign on just like a different server. You know, you can just like put a Breaker Bay and an Eve naked. And that's seven credits to trash for a pretty low investment for you um, or you get like this huge drip of money and go very fast um three hedge is pretty universal um i think everyone was just playing this uh the two eve i think is fine the eve is like significantly worse than the adonis just in terms of speed um and it's i played a lot of food kids later and that was sort of a cut i often did to like fit in more tech cards or whatever the two restructure is interesting i think the the third breaker bay is definitely better than the the second restructure um i think it's arguable that the second restructure that you know the first restructure is better than the, the third eve but i think it's pretty close i don't think it's a disaster either way um i think this is probably like a legacy of him having played a bunch of food, uh etf um i think it's it's okay it's not terrible. It's you know it can be a little bit awkward, but it's fine. Um, the next thing are sort of the defensive and scoring tools. You basically ha he has one Caprice. Um, I think two times Caprice is the most common, but you get a lot of good things with the influence, um, which we can we'll, I'll talk about a little bit more as we get into these things. So it's debatable, but I think you really need the Caprice, especially to be like Kate's and stuff, and kind of it's a. It's a big problem not to ever find the Caprice. And um, then there are three Ash, which are very good, especially with Bra with Breaker Bay, where like it goes from like a pretty good trade to kind of a nuts trade, especially it combos with Caprice as sort of a, a way to sort of keep it alive, kind of like the Nisei token. Or you sort of drain them of a ton of their money, and it's, just, it's very good and like sort of in the money environment. The, the combination of Ash and breaker bay is, is very strong next there's two cyber decks virus suites um this is noise tech as well as medium um and i think it's i think it's pretty reasonable i think you can i think it's noise is pretty good um and i think he kind of just blow out noise if you have a cyber decks on a breaker bay grid because uh he noise really wants to be using parasites to kill ice doesn't really want to be breaking a bunch of stuff and you can pretty often get like a huge blowout with that and uh, each cyber dex is basically 
you know, probably like 10% of the noise matchup, which I think is like one of the best decks um, at this time. Um, and I think it, the cyber decks is shift the food codes matchup from maybe like a 50 50 with noise to like a pretty big food codes advantage um, just because it really limits the ability of parasite um, to sort of take out the ice. Um, and also, you know, and it combos pretty well with the Breaker Bay. So yeah, I think I think this is like a, a tech card that won't be in all these decks, but I think it's pretty good and sort of represents a desire to be noise primarily. Um, it's not going to do much against Kate. It's not going to do much against Criminal, but it's going to do a lot against noise and a decent amount against Anarch. Um, the other card he has is one Chrissium Grid. Um, I think the Chrysium Grids are not amazing. Um, the biggest thing you're doing with this is stopping like Siphon, but your your matchup against Criminal is kind of incredibly good. Usually you can just put your Caprice on HQ and they're too bad at breaking ice to sort of beat you without siphoning you. And that's kind of the game. Um, as well as Criminal definitely being the worst for under faction. And then the other thing you're getting is like Maker's Eye and Indexing, which is like reasonable, but sort of not amazing. Um, it's, you know, it's probably worth like you one to two accesses against Kate, which is not nothing, but sort of I'd rather have the, the second Caprice, which is part of what you're giving up with this. Um, then we get into the ice. The ice is fairly standard. Um, there's 17 ice, three Eli, one wraparound. Um, I think sort of this this barrier setup is pretty standard. Sort of in the lady environment, um, you don't want to play playing too many barriers because there really aren't that many great ones. Um, but Eli is completely broken against Corroder decks, which are still just sort of a non-insignificant chunk as well as sort of AI decks so like Faust. It's three cards worth Faust for three to res, which is pretty good. And the one wraparound is sort of another thing you're getting from the influence. It's definitely better than the wall of static, but it's it's not that much better. And I think that, you know, this is two influence to so it's half a Caprice um, with this and the Grand Grid. And I think so yeah, half a Caprice is better than these two cards. But I think three Eli, one wall of static is pretty is pretty standard. Um, the wraparound is just an upgrade getting from the influence. Then the sentries are three Ichi, um, pretty pretty common. Uh, it's you know it's a very good card. He's kind of a Eli esque. Um, you know sometimes it's better because they're forced to click. Sometimes it's a little bit worse because it's more expensive. But it's a pretty good card. Then there's two architects. Um, you should definitely be three architect. Architect is just sort of totally changes the nature of the face check game with HB because otherwise you know if you're running out of breaker you're just hitting Ichis and it's fine um there's a ton of this ton of stuff as well as like two credits for a four cost ice is like pretty reasonably attacking at the point in time if you used a slot machine that might sound crazy but like architect was like not was like enough to like sort of make running on HQ painful for example you know um sort of or like a desperado you know, it was just enough to turn off the security testing in terms of taxing and was like a blowout if they didn't have um, if they didn't have the mimic installed. And, you know, to give, you know you're like recurring like uh, Adonis and or like a breaker bay and like filtering things and like installing another one. You know, you're getting like you're getting like 10 credits of value from from an architect fire. It's pretty it's pretty broken in this deck. 
Um, there was one assassin, which was a new ice from Data and Destiny. It's okay. It's worse than Ichi. It's worse than Architect. Um, but sort of, it's a, it's like a decent chunk tag scene. Um, it's fine. You'll see some of that in this because I think I think HB has about like fifteen good ice, <laughs> and then you're left with like getting to seventeen with like eh, not not that much um you know you basically basically you got the the four barriers you got the six centuries and we'll talk about the tokens in a sec and then you have like two ice and sort of the big chunky assassin is about as good as it gets then the code gates are um first off two toll booth um so one toll booth is like pretty reasonably standard as like the use of influence and not everyone will do it the second toll booth is the other half of what you're getting from one caprice um it's sort of the best glacier ice it's pretty good sort of it's always it's always taxing um there's not really a great way to break with it if you have a bunch of money it's one of the best ways to capitalize on it it's also a gear check it's a hard end to run it's just it's a very strong card and you know i think is definitely the better use of two influence from this but given that uh chris is is cutting the caprice i think he shouldn't be playing assassin here because he can sort of afford to play enough good cards you know and that's the one thing you're getting basically is totally that's the 17 ice instead of instead of playing assassin um the other code gates are a little interesting one enigma which i think is uh, pretty much the best code gate option and like a lot of these lists are going to be playing two or three of these uh, and then there's one victor 1.0 which is pretty definitely worse than enigma um, the gear check is pretty useful but i think the thing victor has is basically an additional strength um, which is pretty good against noise or the data sucker decks um, but is the same against yog and is the same versus a lot of stuff uh, and the same verse cyber ciphers and with cape so it's okay then we have one iq which is pretty spicy it's reasonable um you can do some tricks with it with like vitruvius counters it's kind of a fun card that sort of was like okay at the time um i think a better iq would be like a cool thing but it's kind of awkward to write like equal to like one plus the number of credits in your hands or maybe just giving it a second sub then two Turing, um, I think it's a pretty good card. I think two Turing is reasonable. I think it's the it and Enigma are like the two best code gates. Um, it's I think two is fine. I would probably go with three, but it's not a disaster. Not you know it's a pretty it is like a real weakness that they can click through it. Going to happen some as well as sort of David breaking for 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 one counter, and this also has the additional useful of actually being kind of nuts against a lot of the AI decks if you put it on HQ. Um, sort of Faust siphon decks or Eater siphon decks actually have a lot of problems with that, though it's not sort of a game breaker because they can often Joshua would be a click through it, but it's it's a pretty it's a does a lot there. And then the last card, which is sort of just a utility card, is one archive memory. Um, I think this is like a reasonably common inc include in a lot of these food codes lists. Um, it can get back money, it can get back ice, it can get back caprice, sort of, it gets you back what you need. And it's sort of very powerful, the options, because it's basically always a slightly averse version of what you're getting up, but it gets you back in choice. And I think it's a pretty well-designed card and it's a fun card to play. You can get back a CVS, for example, against noise. Um, 
and really sort of lets you replay a bunch of your power cards or just get more like money back if they trash like your breaker bay when you have like an ice on a remote um i think overall this list is pretty good i think the most impactful thing is uh one caprice for is is not worth what you're getting um for it you know the toll booth wrap christium um i think just sort of making sure you get the caprice so you're able to beat sort of a remote camping cave is pretty important um, but I think this list is like pretty solid and I think it's not a disaster. I think it's like a couple of percentage points off sort of the ideal food code stack. Um, and I think is is like pretty good and it's pretty in line with a lot of what you'll see. And then on the runner side, we got noise. Um, so I've talked about noise a little bit on in the summary of the year, as well as uh, there was one noise in the cut last year in 2014. Um, and I think this noise is fairly representative of where noise is at and sort of represents all the things that have improved about noise enough that sort of noise being in the cut is about what is expected. I think it's, it's there's a couple of interesting choices, but it's mostly just sort of what you would expect to see if your opponent put down noise at this time. To start off, we got sort of the core noise econ. Wildside's chronotype package, um, chronotype was new, sort of big difference between last year. Sort of a very powerful engine. Um, getting chronotype lets you not be so vulnerable to sort of click compression with Wildside's out. Then we got Aesop's and Cash. Uh, Aesop's sort of the most important money card. Cash sort of a pretty good money card, sort of a, a mill and two credits. And then three on the cell, very good value. Peddler works really well in noise. Um, Sort of, you have a lot of duplicates of things like Wildsides, Chromatop, Aesops. Um, it lets you instant speed Parasite, has a lot of surprises, very powerful card. Helps you have a consistent setup. Um, and Noise was not super worried about running out of cards because of how powerful Virus Milling was that I mean, you have to really worry about running out of gas. Um, you sort of, you had enough viruses in your deck to sort of end the game. Um, and then we have sort of the, the big noise power cards. Um, three clone chip, um, sort of this where you're spending a lot of your influence on basically. Uh, number one thing this is going to be used for is Parasite. Um, There's also used for instant speed clot. And then we got two Faust, which is sort of really one of the big pieces of glue that got noise to work. Um, sort of last year at Worlds, the noise was running three Crypsis, which is a lot worse than Faust. Whereas like Faust is pretty good at sort of being a supplemental breaker to Parasite. And then we have sort of the standard viruses. Um, these are a lot of the power cards. Uh, three Parasite, most important card in the deck, I think, outside of the, the core econ. So this is, you really want to be getting to a state where you can make free runs. Um, and then with with the state where you can make three runs, first off, you got two medium. That's sort of how you pressure a free R&D. Then you got three sucker, which is good because it's uh, it's like a reasonable ASAP's target, as well as a mill, as well as sort of letting you kill an ice immediately with Parasite. Three imp, which is used for trashing things, as well as a little bit of hand pressure, um, mostly controlling assets with this, um, sometimes sort of killing kill pieces out of HQ. That's sort of part of your plan against Harp. Then two clot, this really turns around the NEH matchup where you're you're pretty slow. All of a sudden you can just recur clot a million times with clone chips and deja vu and make the game just go long enough that you get enough points in archives and win. 
Um, and I think one of the most interesting choices here is only one Lamprey. Lamprey is very good, basically. It's how you punish a free HQ. Um, you know, sort of, if you install Lamprey, run HQ three times, uh, your opponent is in a situation where they've lost three credits um, and they're forced to purge or ice HQ and risk it, and then you can sell the Lamprey. And just sort of Lamprey onto a free HQ is a huge pressure point. Um, sort of it's something that needs to be responded to and it sort of stalls out the game. And Noise really wants the game to go longer because the longer it goes without their opponent having to active plan, the more incremental value you get from the mills as well as wild sides and ASAPs and all this sort of incremental econ. And so Lamprey on HQ is sort of a huge power point of like usually the corp can keep you from getting to somewhere whether it's rnd or hq or the remote but having sort of um one free server and the ability to pressure each of these servers and get in one place for free is really how you win the game um then there's sort of the the other money cards there's two gamble um i think it's pretty common not to run this i think daily cast also reasonably common as sort of the the money card I think the daily casts are mostly better though sometimes you want the the more money up front um then there's two deja vu and two vibe at worse um i think each of these two times is interesting i think three times deja vu is probably right uh, but it's hard to exactly find the cuts and then there is some interesting other cards um sort of there's one grimoire usually two times you kind of need the memory the virus ability is pretty good and then there's two David. Um, I think David is sort of, again, very good supplemental. It helps with a lot of cards you have problems with, um, mainly wraparounds. Makes wraparound a lot better. Sort of archers, sort of random crap that's high strength and high res that Parasite isn't good at, Faust isn't good at, David sort of takes care of. And gets rid of, deals with a lot of the problem ice enough times that you can win with all your, your power value. And there's one mimic, um, sort of architect is like the one one of the two ice you can't destroy. The other being lotus field, but architect is a lot more common, a lot more powerful than lotus field, and you don't really have a great lotus field solution anyway. Um, so you kind of need a permanent solution, especially at the end game where sort of your Aesops is really going off. You tend to have a lot of money, and you can just pay through architects uh, where you need to. And finally, um, there's the Plascrete, um, which is again trying to beat Harp. So Noise has the I've had worse. It has Imps. Um, it it has like a bunch of reasonable Harp tech already, and sort of you know when when an Anarch with I've had worse puts Plascrete down, it gets really hard to kill them. I mean, I think that's one of this kind Anarch playing Plascrete was like one of the things that made Harp really hard to play. But you still kind of need to be like prepared to beat it um, because because a lot of people were playing it um and a lot of people were like preparing for it but sort of one of the big things about harp is just how much sort of anarch just crushed it if you played plaskrates and the final slot is knifed which is kind of a, a spicy include i think it's definitely worse than the second lamprey um but can do some stuff it can kill eli it can kill like curtain wall with david for example i think it's i think it's definitely worse than the lamprey but it's it's not terrible it's not like so i think overall it's a fairly standard noise deck which is kind of like a really broken deck you know this is like a very very powerful deck its big issue i think is that it's kind of weak against 
the the food coats with CVS, um, which has just sort of high average strength ice, a lot of money, and sort of the ability to blow you out with um, with like Ichi or whatever, um, where we sort of use CVS to score on like a key turn. Um, and I think that's like the biggest weak point in the deck, which is pretty hard. But I think it's especially with the Plascrete, it's like probably slightly up against Harp. Um, it's sort of up against NEH, it's way up on RP, and then it's sort of weak against food codes, which is which is its biggest weakness. Yeah, and I think overall, um, I was actually very impressed with Chris's games on stream. His two games on stream. One of them was on the FFG stream. I think I tried to find it, and I think it's lost the time. Um, and he has one game versus uh, Noah McKee that he, he loses. Um, and I, I thought he was really good sort of pushing the tempo with ETF, which again was sort of not a universal thing people were doing. But yeah, I think um I think I think sort of Chris coming in, in sixteen, um, I think these decks are cleaner and his play was cleaner than sixteenth place last year, I would say. Um and I think is like sort of a testament to sort of the overall quality increase between twenty fourteen and twenty sixteen. Or sorry, twenty fourteen is one. Um I think that sort of there was there in this cut there's a smaller scale gap between the best and the worst people i think um and i think there's more people who i would put at sort of a tier one player um so chris as i talked about before was sort of didn't travel a ton and so doesn't get a lot of tournaments and this is sort of his big show up but sort of i think i think he seems like a pretty strong player um and it's hard to totally say how close he was to winning with just his sort of two games and out that's uh that's Chris Bacola from uh, Manitoba. Up next in fifteenth, we got a, a fan favorite, um, Gary Bauer Bank, aka Evil Gaz. Um, I think I would say most notably and sort of what I remember him the most for is he wrote I think easily the funniest and I would say best tournament reports anyone in Netrunner has ever written. Um, at oneclickshort.wordpress.com, he he had like a description of his matches, and then every every like match would have a a, a picture sort of to go along with it. Um, and I think it was really the pictures that took out that always cracked me up. Um, I went through and I read through a couple of them. I think I I found that like going back, I stopped reading the tournament reports, um, the like words themselves, but I just went through reading all the pictures. Uh, looking at all the pictures and, and cracking up and they're just they still really hold up and i would highly recommend i i met him a couple times he's very nice um i played him at king of servers i think 2016 um he's he's a funny guy sort of loves a beer um and i think in 2015 and 2016 he traveled to just a million nationals which are where a lot of his tournament reports are coming from um, just all across Europe, when was going to all the nationals and really get, give you an idea of how vibrant and alive Netrunner was. I mean, he was from the, the United Kingdom. Um, and I think he's, as I talked about um, last time with Dave Hoyland, a.k.a. Cerberus, vowing to sort of get a ton of British people to come back. He was one of the, the people who came. And sort of a testament to their success was the amount of people they're going to have in the in the top sixteen from from the UK. 
Um, yeah, um, I I think I'm in checking out his tournament reports. Very funny, very nice guy, very funny guy. On the corpse side, uh, very common, as, you, as you'll see a lot of uh, food coats. Um, sort of the most common deck in the cut. There were 11 of them, which is a huge percentage. And notably, it wasn't sort of, again, that wasn't what everyone was expecting to see coming in. Um, and it wasn't sort of, you know, 80% of the field or even like 30% of the field. It was sort of the food codes rose to the top because it was a very good deck to be playing at this tournament. Um, in his list, I'm just going to go over the differences with the previous one. Uh, he's running two Caprice. It's a huge difference. Then three Eli, two Wall of Static. Uh, sorry, one Wall of Static. Um, for the barriers, again, makes sense. You know, Eli's for taxing anyone who's not running Lady and sort of a gear check one. It's about the right amount. Um, sort of trying to tax out a Lady in a Glacier deck is just not really viable. So you're mostly just trying to gear check them and maybe getting like an Eli that's a little bit of a pain. Um, then the the sentries are two Ichi, three architect, two assassin. I think the, the three architect is definitely better than the previous list, but I think the, th the third Ichi is definitely better than the, the second assassin. Um, and so that's a big difference. And then the, the code gates are three Turing, two Enigma, one booth. Again, very reasonable. Um, sort of reasonable against Yogg. The Yogg's not super, that, super, that common at this point. Um, and well positioned versus a bunch of different stuff. Turing's efficient. Enigma, hard on the run. is probably the best one. There's a little bit of Parasite immunity. And then the booth is sort of the, the most taxing bit ice you can get. Um, and then on top of that, there's one biotic as sort of the spicy include. I don't love this. It's not terrible. Um, Kates are playing Clot, but... I don't know, it's, it's just a little awkward, and I think it's like not as good as uh, CBS, which he doesn't have any of, um, so you're going to be a little bit weak to noise, which I think is something you at least want to have like a reasonable matchup with. You don't have to beat it, because it's not overwhelmingly dominant, but it's, it's something you're like reasonably likely to encounter, and sort of, it does a lot in that matchup. Um, and then, three NEPD, one Vitruvius. Um, it's pretty going for the more defensive. I think it's right. I think this is like a, a pretty good list overall. I would say it's closer to standard other than the biotic than the previous one. And I think is is um just a very solid list. Um and I would probably just cut CVS or sorry, cut biotic for this. And on the runner side we got our first dealer valve. I talked a little bit about this in the previous episode. Um, it was kind of a card that won the Atlantic and RPC championships. It was a little, little bit of a surprise. It was sort of a power... The, the, the combo was a power card that came out that people were experimenting with. And sort of the the DLR had originally been played in the Anatomy of an Anarch by Stephen Woolley decks. We each sort of siphon spam and then have, play a bunch of like value at... Uh, value resources that they need to trash or they punish them pretty hard and I think this list is very in line with the initial anatomy of anarch decks we're trying to use wireless net pavilion as sort of a steed bump rather than sort of totally securing uh, the like permanent DLR package and winning that way it's sort of more of a 
a siphon spam deck than a sort of deck that's really leaning on the DLR package in the way. And I'll talk a little bit about that when I go over the deck. And I'll talk a little bit about the other deck when we come across it later. Um, so I think the big thing to note is that there's no fall guy. Um, so it's a little bit harder to stick the DLR permanently, sort of, when you have the fall guys and like three three fall guys through wireless net pavilion, it takes 32 credits to trash one card. When you have just no fall guys, uh, the the corp can trash all the DLRs for 24 credits. 24 is a lot and it's a significant speed bump, but it's something you can get to every game as as the the corp. Um, though. You know, if you have to do other stuff, you're not crazy happy about it. And so this is more of sort of a using that package as like a significant speed bump for the corp. Um, and what we're getting for cutting the fall guys is we're getting the full three siphon and a planned assault. And then we're playing three deja vu and three same old thing. Um, so this deck is very reliant on landing siphons in a way the later DLR Val deck won't be as much. Um, then there's additionally two DDoS, which really help to land the siphons and mess up sort of siphon counter map. Um, and one of the things about needing to land all these siphons is you, you don't just need to land the siphon to sort of deny them credit, but you also need to land the siphon to get money to pay for your breakers to land the next siphon. Um, and the breakers themselves are two Eater, two Corroder, one David, two Faust. So there's, I think Eater is really a lot of your main plan here. Maybe a Faust to land the first Siphon. And then there's two Blackmail, only two and not three, which I think is a mistake. Trying to land, uh, trying to control the remote a little bit, slow them down so you can Siphon and take over the game. And then in terms of other money, there's two Gamble, two Dirty Laundry, two Day Job, three Inject, three if I had worse. So you have like some amount of other money and you have a reasonable amount of draw with the goal of basically getting the money to land the initial siphon and then the siphon train as your main source of econ. This plan is like a little bit vulnerable against like an opponent who can shut down your siphons, um, which is what's going to happen in his game against Dan Dargenia, which you can watch on stream, where Dan just sort of sticks money assets and just ices up HQ and trashes the DLRs and the, the stick can't really handle not being able to land siphons because HQ is like uh, three clicks of Turing and like 10 credits to get in. And so you're like, lo you're losing value to land, to try and land the siphons. Um, and then we got the sort of the value slash, I would say in this one kind of like tempo assets. So you get two Joshua B, the extra clicks very good, three DLR, two John Masanori and three wireless net pavilion. So again, no fall guy. It's going to be a little bit hard to stick this, um, especially if you don't find all three wireless net pavilion. Um, you're not really going to be sticking these things unless you've like, dominated them with siphons, which again, I think, I think it's more of sort of like a speed bump rather than like a pure win con. And then other stuff is, so there's two Plaskrete to stop me damage kills. Um, notably, the other ones are playing Paparazzi, which this one can't really do because it doesn't have the Fall Guys. There's one Keyhole, um, which is like basically some 
R&D pressure, another way to win. Uh, I think it's pretty reasonable to sort of like in this list. And then there's a Utopia Shard, which is a uh, once in destruction, which I think are okay. You know, give you a little bit of HQ pressure, but really like you, you want to be landing Siphon and you got a ton of Siphon, so I don't know about this. Um, and the final card, which I think is pretty interesting, is two Hacktivist Meeting, which I think was very ahead of its time. Um, Hacktivist Meeting would go on to sort of have a long and illustrious career as like a powerhouse current, but no one was really playing at this point. And I think this is one thing that was very ahead of the curve on this deck. And I think I think has a lot of value, especially when you have all that recursion, you can really force it to be in play all the time. And is a is a thing that's gonna happen in a lot of DLR decks moving forward is is you can generally win the current war because you have so much recursion for your siphons. Um overall though, I think this deck is a little bit weak, mainly because it's incredibly reliant on siphons, and a lot of times your opponents are gonna be able to play around that. Um, and I think his game against Dan really demonstrates the problems this deck has. But yeah, I think I think this is a solid list. Um, Gary, very nice guy, uh, very fun to be around, um, and sort of did UK Netrunner proud with his his placement here and sort of sort of how many people from the UK we're gonna see here. Up next in 14th is Alan Noonan. Um, I don't think I ever actually talked with Alan Noonan, but I admired him as, at a distance because as a, a Irish Netrunner player I talked to said, I would say the man's talent was only matched by his considerable height. She was a very tall guy, which is I think the first thing I noticed about him and was an Irish Netrunner. Um, so I would not, I don't think he was heavily involved with the UK testing group, but did take part in UK Nats and got top eight that year. Um, and I think his, his list is pretty interesting because he was playing HB and it's sort of a proto food coats, not exactly it. And was sort of demonstrated that HB value had a lot of strengths, um, throughout most of the year, even if it wasn't quite number one at that point, um, and was doing some interesting stuff with it, um, and was running director Haas. I think he's had some other like high placements. I think he was top 16 at one or two of the continental tournaments in in Europe, but I don't think had another world's top top cut, but had a very good performance and was like a, a very strong player and I think was a pretty pretty good player in the the Irish Netrunner scene. Yeah, and so to get into his corp deck it's as I alluded to earlier, our third food coach deck. Um, you know, he was playing it for a long time, which I think is like actually like reasonably common among the people in the cut. Is that it was a lot of people who were playing. I think it's a, I think it's about like 50-50 between people who had been playing HB for a ton of the year and recognized food coats as sort of the next evolution of good stuff HB, and people who mulliganed onto food coats because they discovered it was good during testing either just in their testing process or at king of servers itself um so another two caprice list with the two influence you have left over from jackson's and gfi there's two chrisium grid i don't love this i think the toll booth is better i think the stuff you're trying to shut down with chrisium is mostly done better with sort of better play and even the DLR siphon decks 
um, can beat you even without landing siphon and so it's not the best the best tech card in my opinion then there's three NAPD one Vitruvius um, I like this I think the defensive power of the NAPD is very relevant and then there's there's some interesting choices in the econ there's two breaker bay and only one eve I think one eve is definitely worse than two eves I think just sort of money is the glue that makes your netrunner deck go and you want to have it um, and you want to it's sort of money is just sort of an all-purpose resource you can use it to res ice you can like reduce acts you can res ice you can uh, advance agendas you can trash runner cards you can do so much stuff with it that it's very flexible and you can use it to advance whatever the current state has as opposed to sort of tech cards which rely on a specific state being in the game to be useful um, and so generally you want to have this sort of flexible resource especially when you're playing like powerhouse and money cards like breaker bay you want to have that that stuff first um and then so this was a bunch of cuts i listed and does this to sort of fit in what i would describe as a bunch of junk um some some might say it's it's spicy but i i think these aren't amazing includes um so there's a director haas there's two team sponsorship there's one tech startup and there's one cbs um, the director Haas is interesting. It's a it's a Sansan you can put on the same server as Breaker Bay Grid, and um, doesn't cause influence like Sansan does. But you don't really need to fast advance. You can just kind of like solid advance. And a lot of time you're playing against Kate, who you can't fast advance against anyway. Then the two team sponsorship. I think team sponsorship is just a good card. Um, but like a lot of times. You're only scoring three judges in the game, which means it's getting two fires at best. And generally, if it's getting one fire, it's about as good as, like, um, the Eve was. And if it's getting, you know, like, I, some of the time you'll get two, some of the time you'll get one, and some of the time you'll get zero. And some of the time you'll draw it early and at the most important part of the game, and it could have been a money card that can really solidify your board. So I think it's generally worse. The tech startup I think is just a little bit awkward and a little bit finicky. Um, I guess you can get your one director Haas, you can get you can get your money cards, but it's kind of like Adonis number four that's a little more vulnerable, thins you out a bit. But I think it's just not amazing. The CVS, as I've talked about before, I think is very good. It's a blowout against noise, um, which is a rough matchup if you don't have it. I think. Um, but I think the first four of these are mostly bad and would have been better served as being just more money cards. Then I think the, there's some interesting stuff in the ice selection. Um, three Architect, three Ichi, sort of very standard stuff. And then the barriers are where things get really spicy. So there's the three Eli, and then there's two Wolf Static, um, which is a lot of barriers. And then there's one Heimdall 1.0. Heimdall 1.0 is pretty bad. Um, Lady is breaking for three and two counters, or three and a brain damage, or just sort of people can just click through it like an Eli and take a brain damage, which is a disaster. And you're paying a lot for it, and sort of it's got this problem where like Netrunner Ice has this thing where like okay, what happens when the the runner runs into this? Okay, they they either take a brain or they pay one click. 
and then they bounce and you're down eight credits and they're down one click um and so it's a huge tempo loss to res this it makes you really vulnerable and sort of the amount it's taxing isn't really worth the fact that it's so bad on res and puts you so far behind and sort of is going to open up an attack elsewhere whereas you know if you're resing like an eli you can also if you have eight credits to defend yourself you can basically defend just as well with two elis on two different servers and it's not that much uh it's not that much less taxing then there's three turin um one enigma and then a victor 2.0 which is just a pretty bad card that really shouldn't be played at this juncture in netrunner the one thing it does have is it's five so you can sort of counteract yog a little bit but mostly no one's playing yog that much and so they're breaking for like three with cyber ciphers or just clicking through it um and it's kind of just a very expensive not that taxing card um so i i think some very spicy includes i think it's worse than just the standard food coats is but again like isn't that much worse i think you know you're mostly just like money and caprice and you've like increased your bad draws by like a couple of percents um because you have a bunch of cards that don't do enough early and so you get like you maybe like lose like two percent of games and three percent of games where you would have started with money if you're playing three eves and three breaker bay grids and you didn't but not like terrible and sort of not something i'm shocked to see in the cut um and then the runner car side we have our first prepaid kate which as i've talked about was probably the dominant deck for most of the year um this list is probably 41 out of 45 standard prepaid kate um, you know, at this point in time, people had very refined prepaid Kaylets that had been shared extensively and sort of had been winning tournaments for the entire year. And there's not a lot that would have been surprising for anyone at the time. So start off with the money. Um, the standard money pack package is three prepaid, three lucky find, three dirty landry, three gamble, and one stim hack. So it's 13 money cards. Um, and then on top of that, Alan is playing one symmetrical visage, which is kind of the awkward fourth prepaid. It's awkward because it doesn't give um for it generally doesn't give you a credit back the turn you install it. You can't get the Kate credit, and you play events more frequently than you draw one, though I would say with Kate you draw one about 90% of the time. But it's just like a little bit of extra, extra juice. I think it's not terrible to play it. I think it's probably the 45th or 46th worst card in Kate. And it is generally not the best. On top of that, there's six draw cards. There's three Diesel, one Quality Time, two Astro. Pretty standard, sort of. The Diesel's really glue, keeps keeps things together. Um, though that's generally the turn you're not gonna click to draw is the turn you play diesel or quality time with symmetrical decision that's where you're losing your credit um, quality time isn't amazing but then once you get the the prepaids going it's generally a ton of value though oftentimes you'll find oh wait I'm drawn into like a sure gamble I want to play anyway so it loses a little bit of value there then the breakers um, this is pretty standard there's one mimic two lady one's 
sharpshooter, one cyber cipher, one zoo, one admin. Um, I think a lot of times people would play two cyber cipher, no zoo. Zoo is sort of the the thing you do when you're afraid of someone like spamming remotes, for example. But mostly you want to be breaking taxing stuff with cyber cipher. Though a lot of times you'll find that people have sort of dealt with the cyber cyber meta by mostly playing like quandaries and stuff like that and so it's can often be fine especially against astrobiotics um yeah but the the sharpshooter archer protection that some people will reasonably cut it based on the prevalence of wayland you can also hit ichi but mostly you can just play around hitting ichis pretty well so it's not necessary it's not terrible um and sort of it basically becomes impossible for Waylon to beat you if you have Sharpshooter, but it's also just kind of impossible for Waylon to beat you anyway, so who really cares? Atman does a lot of stuff against things you're awkward for, for example. Um, you want, often want to play Atman at 6 against uh, RP or Atman. It's also your only way to break Susano um, with a Data Sucker counter or at 7 and does just a little bit and you can often stim hack it out the multi-axes are three maker's eye two legwork um not a lot um i think it's kind of a controlly deck where you want to control the remotes and sort of the makers and the legworks are there to keep them honest i think this is like actually a thing people hadn't totally recognized because they were so used to playing against criminal where you need to protect your essentials is if someone makers your R&D open turn one is actually a huge tempo loss. And even if you lose an agenda, you're often so ahead on tempo, you're way ahead. Um, and, you know, especially if you're running like NAPDs. And so you don't really need to protect centrals early against Kate, which is a huge deal. Um, so a lot of the food coats, if they're playing it well, will just spend all their early ice protecting money and trying to go as fast as possible with that. And then as the game goes along, they'll like sort of shore up the centrals a little bit. But Kate is really like a controlling deck that wants to set up this powerful econ and prevent the runner from scoring and remote lock them is sort of the primary win condition of prepaid Kate. Um, and then we get into the good stuff, just sort of good power cards. Clone chip, three of them, three SMC, one data sucker, two paras sorry, one data sucker, one parasite. Standard stuff. Um, clone chip gets a lot of different things uh then there's levy scavenge and one same old thing i think one same old thing is pretty standard access again it can value gamble with a prepaid if you need to um it's protection against net damage with levy though um there isn't a ton of p at this point it's kind of not a great deck that's been out of the meta for a while um, and then finally, we got sort of three uh, three different tech cards. We have one Film Critic, two Plascrete, and one Clot. Two Plascrete shows the respect it's giving to Harpsichord, as well as the Film Critic being good against the Harpsichord Fast Advance slash Mid-Seasons, plus, um, plus the Feature Perfect, though it's not going to do a ton against a food code stack it's pretty good tech card against a lot of the other things you'd see in the meta um in terms of like how your match matchup is against harpsichord with plascretes um it's still pretty bad the harpsichord deck has a lot of ways to beat you um 
you kind of need to draw Plaskrete fast enough to not just die, and they can often score out anyway. Or they can use Shattered Remains to kill your Plaskrete. And then there's one clot, which is pretty important against Astrobiotics. Turns it from like a slight NEH favored matchup to like a heavy Kate favored matchup. Um, just sort of NEH will really struggle to score, and it's a really key piece that is part of why Prepaid Kate was such a good deck for so long, was it had the best NEH matchup. But I think this is a very good list. Um, I think there's not a ton... There's, like, little things on the edge you debate about, but I think this is basically a standard Prepaid Kate. There's nothing you would be shocked about here if you... If you were playing in 2015 and your opponent had this, this would be like, yeah, this is exactly what I was expecting. Maybe the number of, like, Maker's Eye is not exactly what I was expecting. Or maybe two Plaskers isn't exactly what I was expecting. Or maybe the Zoo. But, like, it's all in line. It's, like, within defined limits. Um, yeah, and so that was that was Alan Noonan's deck. I think two pretty reasonable decks. Alright, up next we got Min Tran, a.k.a. MTG Red. Um, so... Notably, he was last year's runner-up, um, who was pretty close to winning. You know, would have would have won worlds if he had only had uh, four credits instead of three when accessing that NAPD. So it's you know it's a pretty solid pedigree. Um, and some some interesting things about Min's journey to this world is he came at pretty much exactly the last minute. Um, he basically didn't have tickets, and then I think he watched King of Servers and got so excited about going to Worlds that he like called up FFG and asked them if he could come, and they said sure, and he got a a plane a plane ticket the last minute and basically got there like either the day before or the day of, extremely last minute. You know, I think he had been a little bit on his way out. I know he went to like a couple of nationals that year, though he didn't win any. I think he top aided. Um, but was sort of, I think, had had spent a bunch of time implementing Jinchecki.net, really got it to a good spot. Um, by the end of this year, I think it become sort of the primary testing. It become the sort of the primary online playing thing. Um, at the beginning of the year, I think Oxagon was in the majority and JNet was kind of like not fully implemented enough. And then by the end... JNet was probably in the majority, just simple, easier access and was like pretty good. And there were a couple things that were more convenient about it. Though I think a lot of diehards still played an octagon. Um, so, and with this journey here, he, I think like a lot of people didn't totally know about didn't a lot of the new cards. He notably didn't know DDoS was a card. He just kind of like, hadn't really been paying attention sort of hadn't gotten into worlds and hadn't won a nationals to uh to earn a spot and so it been kind of checked out and then only sort of decided to go at the last minute which i think is like a um i think is like a, a little bit of a misstep on ffg's part and sort of not representing sort of that some of these people were like figures um who other people would be interested in seeing sort of like hey the runner-up that is you know the runner-up from last year is a pretty important person to be in next year's worlds tournament is you kind of just get an automatic slot um because people will be interested in them um a little bit more because there's a little bit more of a story of like hey can they come back this year um and i think min in particular was 
a very good player, you know, watching his games, very good. Additionally, I think he did about as well as he could have in this, like, year and a half period. Um, so he was runner-up at Worlds, won Belgium Nationals in 2014, and then he top 16s Worlds. That's sort of like, um, you know, that's like sort of another world's top 16 and like a world's top eight from being like pretty, pretty solidly like top three all time. Um, so it was like on track to be sort of one of the best Netrunner players, but sort of didn't really play that much after this. And this was kind of the end of it. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons people fall out of it, but I think it's, it's important to say that like, you know, his performances between, between 2014 and 2015 puts him in sort of probably top four players in that time frame. I think he's worse than Dan. He's worse than Timmy for sure. Um, probably worse than Hoyland's. And then I would say better than most other people in terms of his performance across that time period, um, which is like, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, um, yeah, it's a pretty impressive showing. I think it's, you know, we don't have the alternative universe where Min plays for another two years, but like it's, he was a very real figure and was sort of in contention for one of the best players at this time um, in terms of the performance he was putting up um, and how he played. And I think, I think, um, yeah. I um, mean, I think another important thing to note is that he lost twice on the corpse side in the cut. Um, so he's, he went 0-2 in the cut, lost twice on the corp side, and I think looking at his deck, it shows that his his runner deck is a lot better than his corp deck. Um, I think his runner deck was 8-0 in sort of the actual tournament, and then won all the. Uh, so it was it was sort of a little bit like last year in reverse, where one deck that was basically undefeated and sort of let down on sort of drawing bad sides. So this year is a lot less unbalanced, and I think is harder to have one side carry in this tournament than the other one where the two sides are a lot closer and you kind of need to have good decks on both sides to win. Um, so I think he was, he was going to have trouble winning no matter what, even if he hadn't drawn Corp twice, but sort of, it's not that hard for him to have drawn, uh, say runner for his first two games and been sort of sixth overall, for example. Anyway, so let's, let's get into his deck. Um, so on the Corp side, we got another food coats, um, there's some interesting stuff here that I think is a little suboptimal, and I think it's about as suboptimal as anyone has had so far in food coats. So first off, with the agendas, three NEPD. I like that. Um, I think that you're pretty okay in solid advance advancing a lot, and the defensive power of the NAPD is better than the Vitruvius being able to be naked advanced. I think the thing that gets a little weird is his money cards. So he has no Adonis and three Eve. Adonis is pretty definitively better than Eve. I think he wants to like sort of put it in a second, focus on having a second remote where Eve's a little more defended and focus on the main remote and scoring because he has uh, one launch campaign and three team sponsorship. So I think the idea is that basically you want to be sort of really chaining your scores together, but I think it just doesn't really work as well as the other ones and um, just isn't as good. Um, and I think 
another notable card is one DBS, which is really getting like the solid sort of asset. Solid just value assets as opposed to sort of the other food codes which are really focusing on building one super remote. This wants to sort of maybe like have like three remotes with one ice each, which I think is just not as good in terms of like what you're playing against. Um, and then influence, there's two Caprice and one Lotus Field. I think the two Caprice I like, the Lotus Field, I uh, don't really like it. I think it's only really against Yogg and Parasite. Um, and the main Parasite you're worried about is Noise, which is going to have Faust, which is pretty good against Yogg. And, and there's not a lot, ton of upsides. So I think this is a pretty, pretty weak pick, and I think this deck is a little bit like awkward and sort of demonstrates that I think Min was a little out of step with sort of practice and like what other people were playing just kind of put something together um which I think is still like very impressive you know it's a pretty solid deck but I think it's definitely worse um than the other list and I would also say that sort of to you know looking over these first four decks even though I say I think a lot of them have some like awkward stuff about them they're closer to the best deck than the worst deck was last year, where I think the worst deck in the cut last year was a lot worse than the best deck. And I think there is less of a difference between the best and the worst decks in this cut. Um, and then onto the runner, we have what I think believe you called at the time DLR Max, but quickly became known as Min Max, and then later it became DLR Max again. Um, I think. It's a, you know, the, the fuckboy starter pack we talked about. And I think one thing to note is that people tried Max pretty quickly for DLR, but nobody really cracked it. Um, I think one thing to note is that people were afraid of getting countered by all CNI with Max. Um, and that was, I think that was the big thing people were worried at and people just sort of, I don't really know how people didn't manage to make DLR Max. Um, it's not that complicated but I guess just sort of a little bit of the correct slots makes a big deal. Um, and also sort of the DLR Val has this like good free remote pressure, which is pretty useful. And it's more of a control a deck. Um, and then I think DLR Max is gonna end up being the DLR deck once Wireless Net Pavilion gets um, made unique, basically because it has more total like Fall Guys. It can, and, and it can install and it's better at siphoning. Um, and it also has the advantage of being good at like low econ games because you're getting one card per turn. So if you, you know you like siphon them and you're both broke now, um, you're getting one card a turn, and you're just like clicking for, the corpse clicking for three credits and you're clicking for four and you're sort of building a pretty big material advantage there. And then I think it's also better at getting the first siphon off and I think it's a little more dependent on siphon than the other list is, but still just sort of the wireless net pavilion fall guy combo just gets really hard to trash really fast. Um, with the big downside really being uh, you can get blown out by all seeing eye, but Max is kind of able to sort of reset against that. All right, so let's talk about the list itself. Um, first off is the fuckboy package itself. 2DLR, which I think is reasonable in max where you draw on a ton. You don't necessarily need it right away. 3 Wireless and Pavilion, 3 Fall Guide, 2 Paparazzi. Standard fine. Then there's the Siphon stuff. 2 Siphon, 3 Deja Vu, 3 Same Old Thing, and 1 Levy. 
Um, again, pretty standard. I think the breakers are interesting. It's three eater, one Faust, one corroder. Um, and then additionally, a uh, retrieval run, which is useful for finding what you need with max, especially they're not really going to be protecting archives against you. Um, I think three eater means you need more money and really need to get that siphon chain on going. Faust is sort of pretty generically useful for breaking into remotes, and Grutter sort of keeps you from getting countered by wraparound, which otherwise is a pain in the ass. Um, I think it's pretty reasonable. One thing is that I think later versions would play a Femme to really combo with Retrieval Run, and um, especially after Faust gets uh, gets restricted with the later MWL. Um, then the just money is three Gamble, two Dirty Laundry, two Day Job, three Inject, two I've Had Worse, three Daily Cast. Um, so I think this is this is pretty pretty like reasonable. Notably, injects and I've had worse. You really want to be drawing and playing a lot of cards, and one ends really getting that siphon and like being able to go fast and sort of get set up. Notably, addition on top of that, there's three Joshua B. I think this is maybe overkill. It's a very powerful card, but I think with Max, you really only need two of them. Um, and I think it has more money than the DLR Val because you really need to hit that first siphon, which means pain with Eater. Um, last card is Utopia Shard. Uh, not very good. I think this is not great, but isn't like terrible. It does something sometimes. I think the big thing it's missing is DDoS, which is really nuts. Um, and Min didn't know it was a card, and I think he said he would have played it. And I think it's a, it's a really power card in this where it keeps, you know, I've, as I talked about, like the siphon chain. One of the things that happens against good players, and especially as good players get better in like a more a higher asset um, environment, is good players will basically never let you gain ten off of a siphon um, because they'll res ice, or they'll have assets they can do, and they can like sort of zero themselves out and then recover. Um, and they're sort of denying you the ability to use siphon as your money. And one of the advantages of the DLR package is. If they do this, then they're broke, and you can they can't trash your DLRs. Um, but I think it's 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 still relevant as a defense, especially against like um, especially with sort of all the Adonises and Eves and Pads. Um, it's yeah, and so I think that's the one thing missing. The other thing that's missing, I think, is Scrubber to deal with assets, which I think is reasonably relevant. Um, you know, you kind of, you have more money than Val does, but you still don't really want to be trashing a bunch of pad campaigns, and Scrubber really lets you take over the game. Um, and I think one of the other, the last things that gets played a lot later is a Hacktivist or an Employee Strike. Um, basically, winning the current wars, um, and it's good against various things with sort of all the recursion, but I think there wasn't a lot of currents being played against you, so you don't really need to win the current war. Current wars weren't really a thing at this time. They would start to become a thing, I think, a little bit in the next year, but not really until 2017 does a current meta take off. Um, and I think Hacktivist was undervalued, and E-Strike was probably better than the Utopia shard here, but... Uh, I would still think Fem is better than either of them. I think with the Retrieval Run Fem combo is pretty good in this in this deck and lets you do a lot of stuff. 
Um, and so that's that's Min. I think again, very strong player. I think it's a shame he sort of stopped playing Netrunner when he did. He really missed out on a potentially sort of all-time top five player, um, which which is always a bummer to sort of miss out on potential when you know like sometimes people will like have a really good run and then like fade away and like not do as good um and but it's really hard when someone sort of like wins about as much as you can win and then just stops playing and it's hard to hard to see that and i think it's as like a sort of a the competitive history it's a it's a bummer um and i'm gonna stop there i know i did sort of eight and eight last time but i think i'm gonna do four four and eight this time um i think the decks go faster once you introduce them. I had some other introductions at the front. I also just want to get this episode out. It's like over an hour. Um, and I think I think that'd be good. So um, I'll, I'll see you all next time. I am late recording an episode. And thanks to everyone again who has listened to this and sent me nice messages.